Brothers and sisters, when we hear the story of the temptations of Christ, we realize that this story sheds light not only on who Christ is, but also who we are and how we are to enter into a relationship with God and one another. And it's this latter part that I'd like to focus upon as far as we reflect upon this gospel. In approaching this gospel passage, it's important that we observe the setting, a desert. Deserts stand in stark contrast to gardens. It was in a garden that the first human sin occurred. By contrast, it's in the desert where we're called to repentance and conversion. It was in a garden where Adam and Eve instinctively hid themselves from each other and from God. By contrast, the desert is a place that's void of fig leaves. We cannot hide in the desert. We must face the reality of our existence. This is why Lent is often referred to as a desert experience. Our practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving are not done for their own sake. Rather, these practices are meant to remove the distractions from our lives. They're meant to draw us away from the superficial things in which we often take delight, things such as chocolate or iPads or Xboxes and television. And instead, these practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving point us to that which will provide us a deeper and lasting joy, namely, a proper relationship with God. With this in mind, let's delve into this gospel passage. St. Luke tells us that Jesus fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights, eating nothing. And at the end of this, he was hungry. Now, friends, that's the biggest understatement in all of Scripture. Having not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus wasn't hungry. He was starving. And it's precisely in this weakened state that the devil comes to attack him. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. The first temptation, the first trial. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, in his book, Jesus of Nazareth, Take special note of how this temptation begins. It challenges Jesus' very identity. If you are the Son of God. The Pope Emeritus states that the devil could very well extend this challenge to us. If you are the church of God, then make sure that the world has bread. The Pope Emeritus is keenly aware of the difficulty in responding to that trial. He says, it's hard to answer this challenge because the cry of the hungry penetrates so deeply into the ears of the soul. Here we see the devil's cunning. This temptation seems to be a good thing. Should we not strive to feed the hungry, to meet the bodily needs of those in the world? Of course we should. Anyone who read Pope Francis's letter for Lent this year knows that. But listen to Jesus' response. One does not live on bread alone, 
This temptation is to focus on bread alone. It doesn't take God into account. And we see this temptation all the time, don't we? It occurs when we reduce the gospel to a message of merely social justice. It occurs when we separate our works from our faith. We cannot solve the problem of giving bread to the world apart from God. In fact, as Pope Emeritus Benedict points out, every time humanity has tried to solve the world's material problems apart from God, it's always led to tyranny, such as communism or national socialism. What Benedict proposes is that we look at the words of Jesus in connection with his other teachings on bread. And we take that into consideration. Things such as the multiplication of the loaves, where we learn that it's God himself who will provide bread for the world. Or the Eucharist, where it's Jesus who offers his body as food that will nourish us. What we learn from this first temptation is that our first priority is not to go about doing social justice. Our first priority is to be nourished by the word of God. Material needs are second to this. In other words, we can't worry about feeding the world until we've first been fed and nourished by the word of God. The second temptation is the temptation for money and power. I think this is one that we see constantly in our society as well. People will do some of the craziest things for money and for fame. You know, reality TV has kind of become the ultimate proof of that. But this isn't limited to celebrities or celebrity wannabes. How often are we tempted to violate the precepts of our faith to gain some worldly power or status? You know, this is the temptation that we experience when we're tempted to cheat on a test or to fudge a number, or to misrepresent a product. It's the temptation that we all face. You know, I experienced this as a priest. I could very easily come up and preach a homily week in and week out that makes everybody feel good. And if I did that, my popularity would probably increase. My status as a priest might increase. But what we learn from this trial is that we're called to an integrity of faith. That we're to place worship of the Lord and fidelity to his commandments over our own status, over our own wealth. And we're to do this even, or dare I say, especially when it's difficult or inconvenient. The final temptation that we face is the temptation to put God to the test. And this is one that's rampant in our society as well. We often think that God owes us proof. That God needs to manifest himself. He needs to manifest his power in a way that satisfies us. You know, this is modernity's big objection to belief in God. It's that God doesn't subject himself to our whimsical desires. And we want God to prove himself to us. And we demand that he answers our prayers in a manner that we see fit. And in making these demands, we end up reversing the role of God and the Creator. 
We say that it's God who has to prove himself to us human beings and not the other way around. And so we put God to the test. Pope Benedict reminds us that when we put God to the test, we implicitly deny God as God because we've placed ourselves above and beyond him, no longer acknowledging as any, anything is real except that which we can experimentally test and grasp. To think like that, he says, is to make oneself God. And so this final temptation is the temptation to place ourselves over and above God rather than to submit to God. Friends, we need to apply this gospel to our spiritual journeys. During Lent, we'll be faced with temptations. We'll be tempted to do these same things that Jesus was tempted to do. As we go about our almsgiving, we'll be tempted to disassociate our giving from our relationship with God to turn stones into bread without first feeding upon the word of God. We'll be tempted to forego our fasting and to indulge in some worldly pleasure that is to grasp for food, to grasp for money, power, status, or pleasure, rather than to acknowledge our need to worship God and to depend fully upon him. In our prayer, we'll be tempted to put God to the test, demanding that he prove himself to us, to become our servant, and to operate in a manner that we see fit, rather than to humble ourselves and to become his servant, acknowledging that he is God and we are not. Now here's the good news. Just as scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert, we know that it's the same Holy Spirit who guides us through Lent. And therefore, we don't have to hide behind a fig leaf as we face these trials. Rather, we can face them in the open, in the desert. And we do this when we turn away from that which provides us with false and fleeting joy and instead, seek out that which is going to provide us lasting joy. So as you embark on your Lenten journey, enter into those practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. But do so not as a means to see what you're made of, but as a means of drawing you into a deeper and more properly ordered relationship with God. If you do that, you'll find that you experience a greater satisfaction than any Snickers bar could provide. You'll find greater joy than any iPad or Xbox game can provide. For you'll find yourself experiencing true joy. True joy that comes not from material goods, but from a relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, Peace to you and to all who enter the desert during this season of Lent.